Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. Show number three I did in comedy was the thing was like, this is leading towards your special, your one hour special. And when that didn't come for years and years, you know, even like the half hour special, I it meant the world to me, everything. And I was so excited that a network would take, you know, I described it to my mom that way. It goes, this network's taking a half hour of their television, you know, the same thing they give to South Park and giving it to me. Like, that's crazy. And uh, so it wasn't I took it for granted, but getting that hour that you name it, it just it was a very proud moment to have that. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. So excited to have you guys back here on the show. Thank you so much for all your support and everything you do. It's incredible. You guys have reached out to me in so many different ways. I'm surprised there isn't a hovercraft that delivered a message in a bottle to me. Incredible. I've gotten everything from a tweet to a steamer trunk. And whatever is there, whatever message, whatever story you bring me, I love it. And you can also reach me at Barry Katz on Instagram and Twitter, and I will answer everything I can, I promise you. So again, thank you, thank you, thank you. I am so grateful. And today's episode is going to be wonderful. It's part two of Big J Okerson. And I know you're going to love this a lot. This guy is really inspirational and a wonderful guy. And as I always do when I look at my guests, I tend to say something that has to do with the podcast and hopefully has some meaning or tie-in to what we're talking about in life, business, and everything in between. And when I think of Big J. Okerson, I think of a guy who always, always one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet in the business. And the relationships that he has with all of the people in the industry and his peers are truly at the highest level they could possibly be. And in addition to the relationships he's created, he always seems to be doing something new, unique, and different within his skill set that move the rock up the hill even farther. And even when the rock falls down and knocks him off the hill, he seems to go up a different side of the mountain and gets very, very far as he heads on the way to the top. I mean, think about it. This is a guy who's been to the Montreal Just for Laughs Festival four times. Four times. I mean, that's a lot of times to go to the greatest comedy festival in the world. They have to choose you. They pick you. 
they believe that you're the kind of person that they want up there. But he doesn't just go up there as a regular stand-up comic. No, he's gone up there for the nasty show where he shows a side of himself that's more blue and edgy. And then there's times when he's been up there with his solo show, which is more of an acting piece. But he's also a guy who has two of the top podcasts in the world that he works on. But not only that, he's done albums. He's done hour specials. He's acted in incredible shows. But he's also a guy who does prestigious acting gigs with incredible talents like Amy Schumer on her show and Louis C.K. on his show. But on top of that, he's also a guy who created his own show that was critically acclaimed, was on for two seasons, called What's Your Fucking Deal, which used crowd work and off-the-cuff comedy and had all these great comedians coming in and out and blowing people away. And so when I look at Big J Okerson, as I have on other occasions with other unique and extraordinary artists, what you find over and over again with the people who are doing well and moving things to the next level, yes, their stories on stage exude truth, power, force, energy, charisma, but they also know that they can't just stick to doing one thing over and over again. They have to keep creating and they have to keep moving forward using everything they have in their emotional toolbox. To me, if you can figure out a way to do that and create all these different lanes in your business that can be moved forward successfully, like Big J Okerson has done in his business, I can guarantee you, you will definitely have the possibility of having the kind of career that Big J Okerson has. Here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and Seaman. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in showbiz and you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Uh, undeniable. You fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. One. Cuatro. Dos. Two. Three. Son. Cuatro. Five. Cinco. Six. Six degrees of separation. Six degrees of separation. I'm going to mention some names. Sure. I want you to tell me what comes to mind. It could be a word, a sentence, a story. Sure. Anything. Dave Chappelle. Genius. Probably one of the most pure... Uh genius minds as, and as much as I give uh, I think the definition of comedy is Dave Attell I think what he does is just like his mind just operates in a way of different people and I think Chappelle does that as I think Patrice did also in his way Chappelle in, in, in another unique way is just he just knows the language of funny he just knows how to say the funniest word and the best way to time it and that's effortlessly I don't think he's a guy who really pines away at a notebook for jokes. I think he he has his feelings and develops, which I I kind of emulate also, like kind of finding it on the fly. And I think he's just uh, the best person that's ever done that. The character of Neil. Oh, (laughs) Z-Rock? Yeah, that was my first ever legitimate acting gig on an IFC uh, short-lived two-season show shot curb your enthusiasm style on that it was a it was a scripted comedy but there wasn't really a script it was an outline of a script and we got to make up our own things for someone like it was uncensored and for someone like me that was a dream job because i just felt my i felt like i was doing i said same kind of i was looking for the same immediate reaction which i could get as stand-up comedy 
or radio in that I was trying to make the crew laugh every time I, you know, which would ruin the shot. And the, but then you'd know that's the one we should take again because it made everybody break. And I kind of loved that. And my, it was, I played a, uh, I guess a gay character <laughs> named Neil who was, uh, I guess straight other than, uh, had a lot of homosexual feelings for the lead singer of the band that the show was about, the uh, the Z Brothers. And still friends with those guys to this day. They were great guys. A really, really fun show. I think it really ended on, uh, that was my first taste of like networks having problems with the production company. It wasn't anything to do with ratings. The show was doing well. It was just like not interested anymore. Or I think arguments over advertising and stuff, which is awful. But it was it was... Uh, it was a lot of work again because I don't like particularly have an acting bug and I don't like what surrounds acting in like the waiting around sitting in your you know whatever room you have to sit in to kill time I don't like any of that but the finished product is always kind of cool to see yourself do that showed the way it was shot with the with the loose script like that made it fun and that was the best thing I could have had Colin Quinn uh, just a sage <laughs> that's it from the time I got to New York he was always extremely friendly to me he uh, encouraging one of my recommendate one of the people who recommended me for the comedy cellar when that came time uh, we, we we were never really close we didn't have much phone conversation in our careers but when we see each other it's always uh, I love it because when I just became when I was hanging out with Keith Robinson, we were there for the hang of Colin Quinn. By the time I got into the comedy cellar, my spots were always after David Tell. So I'm going on at, you know, two in the morning, two thirty in the morning most nights. Colin really wasn't there. So we we don't get to see each other as much as I would particularly like to, but he's such a living legend and uh and yet the most down to earth guy. And what he just did for I still owe him, which bothers me. I thought about this today. I have to get his number to uh send him a, a text or i owe him a phone call for he just did tough crowd reunion at the festival my, you know me and my festival uh skank fest we just did in new york which was very successful and 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 that wasn't even a show that was announced it was a secret show and to get him uh voss bobby kelly norton Keith Robinson in a room together with the backdrop and the whole thing to it was pretty amazing that was a, a cool moment he's an, he's an amazing amazing guy Bonnaroo uh, Bonnaroo was one of the first gigs that my agent from uh, now CAA but it was super artist at the time Justin Edbrook who I always would love to shout out anytime I can because changed my life ultimately he was one of the first people I ever talked to and just begging for help at a point. I was I found myself in my mid-30s and really panicking that I was like, I don't know if, they, you know, I feel like the, the festivals are sort of done with me. Comedy Central's pretty much, you know, they sort of just said like nothing really hit after your half-hour special. I got some things younger and didn't really capitalize on them and I thought I was kind of uh, dead in the water and then some comics who were younger than me who went past me would say things to people and people I met through the years and Ari Shafir put me in touch with his agent who was Justin Edbrook and it was it sounded a little bit of like the same old same old phone call I've gotten from or you know someone talking to me in this business that I was asking for help for it sounded like another thing of lip service I feel like it's always well I can't really work with you right now officially but let me see what I can get you and but when he called me, we spoke on the phone for about an hour and a half, and he gave me a long, like, very encouraging talk and how much he liked my stuff and then said, I can't work with you, but uh, if I think see things that come up for you that make sense for you, I'll get it for you. And that was, and I, you know, he kind of hang up with like a, sure, I guess you'll get, if, if something comes across your plate for not one of your clients, you'll give it to me. And right out of the gates, he got me a, uh, heavy metal cruise ship that I've done every year since which is such a blast and great money and a fun thing very in my wheelhouse of what I like and and Bonnaroo which was also a nice payday and such a cool experience and I to get that kind of treatment at a, such a renowned festival now too to be an artist 
at that is uh, it hangs over my bed. The Bonnaroo poster my girlfriend had framed in a, in a beautiful frame, and it, it's over uh, in our bedroom, the Bonnaroo, because I'm on a poster with Billy Joel. It seems ridiculous. Amy Schumer. Amy was great to me also. I really got to say I, I owe her a, a good amount because she was one of the people, as I just said, that I remember Amy calling me as, you know, her being essentially an open micer or, you know, working a little bit in the city. And I would talk to her and we became friendly enough and her asking me for even like, I remember her calling me, I was in Sacramento once and she asked me for crowd work advice um, or had something with the handling of crowd with crowd work. And I talked to her for a while and, and jokingly wrote back, I go, all right, for that advice, you now owe me a picture of your box. And I remember she sent me back a picture of a U-Haul box. And it was so quickly that I was, and you know, I'm, I was just impressed with her quickness and the technology of that to get that picture back so fast. And I thought that was funny. And, and she was great. And then when her show uh, got picked up inside Amy Schumer, uh, every season, I believe, they found something for me. The, the one thing they wrote the part for me, essentially, the uh, gangbang video I did, with, or the sketch I did with her, they had me in that as an original person on that and then season two we did the dog stripper sketch so that acknowledgement helps people who are getting the industry love like that I, I make no mistake that her validating me as someone who she was like no this guy's like you know I think this guy's great made the industry take another look at me too Jim Jeffries did uh, the same thing Wayne, Wayne Raid of all people I was hanging out with him one day kind of griping about my career and said why don't you call him like, why don't you just call Jim Jeffries and ask him if you could open for him? And I was like, I don't, I mean, it's Carnegie Hall. I'm not asking him to open for him at, you know, Bananas, Poughkeepsie. You know, it's like Carnegie Hall. He goes, but you know him. Like, you know, I've known him for years at that point because we did a South African comedy festival before he ever came to America, Jim Jeffries. So I've known him for years at this point. It was just ask, what could it hurt? And I asked him and he couldn't have wrote back quicker. He was like, yeah, sure. Like, almost like it's not a nonchalant big thing. And, <laughs> That was a big deal, and I opened for him at Carnegie Hall, and that was another thing with Comedy Central was there, and put and, and that helped me out. Ari Shafir got the digital program for This Is Not Happening, and we met after his first season of the film and became kind of buddies, and he wanted me to do a story on the season two on that was on the uh, online platform. And Comedy Central said they weren't flying anybody out at all that was from New York they wanted to keep it all LA comics on the show so the budget was low and all that and I uh, so you know and then Ari said he was going to try to fix this and see what he can do and he called me and told me that he got he goes he got them to they're going to fly me out but they're not putting me up but he goes but you can stay with me at my place and I was like yeah sure that sounds great Um, and I went out and did it and it went really, really well, and shortly after that is is when Comedy Central, I think, gave me the uh, hour special. It was based off of that because they were against me being there. And I also found out years later that Ari Shafir uh, flew me out himself. They didn't agree to fly me out either. He just didn't want me to know that in fear that my pride would be like, ah, dude, they don't want me there, you know, because that's my mentality would be more. I'm like, if they don't want me there, I don't want to go, you know, it's fine. And uh, so people like that, I said, between Amy and all them, they did really help me out a lot. The moment you decided crowd work could be your lane. Um, it was the comedy cellar. Working the comedy cellar, following David Tell. One, believing that I would never have a joke written as well as they just heard. And two... Being in the comedy clubs and spinning my wheels a bit as far as what's the next step you know I'm not on the road very much I'm home a lot I'm trying to get work here and there opening for people and headlining as much as I can but I was in the city a lot and that was fine because the clubs opened up for me so I was able to work a lot at the clubs but going late night at the comedy cellar after David Tell and all these just crushing comics would go up I would notice sometimes the wait staff would watch a comic who was you know someone married to their set more you know it does the same set for a long long time and I'd watch them kind of just 
rolling their eyes at it and kind of mouthing the words, the wait staff. I'd see the wait staff kind of like, eh, you know. And to, to people, these are people who I would say are friendly with the comic on stage, but they're still doing this behind his back. And I was like, I'm just too insecure that I was like, I never want that to happen. So my goal became to make, if you can make the staff laugh a lot, you know, and other comics, like that seems to be the best thing. I was always impressed. The thing about a tell that inspired me the most, other than the, you know, the the obviously uh, voice cadence and everything, but it inspired me the most, and Patrice had this too, was when they go on stage, the staff tries to stop working and comics try to come watch because something different might happen, you know? It's more of a dangerous situation, and I like that. So I just tried at the end of the night to just fuck with the crowd and see where, see if I could do it to get into. Also, at that point, I had very long stories in my setup. That's my first album. called An American Storyteller <coughs> because I had very long stories from doing DC Benny's Rooms is kind of how I found that version of comedy. And then I didn't want to bore the staff, so I go, let me just make it different every show. And I'll tell that boring story to them at the end, but at least getting to it, I'll just kind of talk about the subject with the audience. And it just the club started to like really enjoy it more. And then for me, it became very fun because it was less time of you going, you know, a new joke's not a new joke by the 15th time you saw it on stage. In New York, you might get that 15 times in the weekend. So by the next by the next weekend, you're like, I don't want to tell that anymore. It's kind of, I'm kind of bored of it, you know? Jimmy Fallon. Jimmy Fallon. Uh, sweetheart of a guy from when I met him, when I did... The late show with Jimmy Fallon wasn't the Tonight Show yet, but uh, we'll never know <laughs> how great or not great that set was because it's been erased from the history of internet and/or television. Why is that? I made Jeff Singer, who I owe a lot to. Also, I'll say that Jeff Singer fought for me to be on late night television. He said he wanted to be the first person to get me on late night TV because he knew I was too dirty. And he worked with me for months, reluctant on my end, because he could come, can you change it? If you could just change a little bit of this, we can get this to work. And, I'm, you know, okay, okay, Jeff. And I would do what he said, and we'd, we'd find it. We'd go back and forth. He'd meet me in the middle on some things, which was great and very cool of him. And we got the setup. And I had a joke in there about Michael Vick, the former quarterback for, at this point for the Philadelphia Eagles. At the time, he was still the quarterback. And I had a joke about being from Philadelphia and it's the conflicting idea that Michael Vick's such a piece of shit for what he did to those dogs. You know, sure, but right now he's my quarterback and I can't help that. So he had root for the uniform, you know? I was like, <laughs> when he scores, I go, as long as he scores touchdowns for my team, I goes, he could tear a dog apart like a werewolf in the end zone for all I care. I go, just win. And it's a ridiculous joke. And, and uh, what's funny was they called me kind of a, the, the, the zero hour and said hey can you change something about that that joke like they're having a problem with the ripping the dog apart and I it bothered, I didn't know, but I didn't know what to do I felt so late in the game I didn't want to let anybody down and I agreed to change it to, to I, I'd throw him whenever he scores a touchdown for the Eagles I'll throw him a stuffed animal dog and let him rip it apart like a werewolf in the end zone and I was like I could maybe word that in a funny way I guess but I was a little bummed out, but I but I went on stage fully intending to do it. And this is very genuine. I would say if I just had like a fuck you to it all, I, I did not. I never wanted, especially Jeff, I didn't want to like screw him over at all. I know he put his neck out for me. I just went on, the joke went on autopilot and the words just came out the way they did that I've said a thousand times with the tear a dog apart like a werewolf in the end zone. And how did the crowd react? Great. It was killed. In the, the set was very good. I was very so happy with finish, the set. What does Jeff say to you? Uh, great. He said, great job. And I, even when I said to somebody, I came off immediately and apologized to the first producer. I was like, oh, I said, I said the joke the the one way. I go, I'm really sorry. And they went, no, it, was, it killed. It killed. It was fine. Which I came to believe because it wasn't a standards practice issue on words or anything. It was just, I thought they had a taste issue. Also, I know they put a lot of young comics on these late night shows sometimes. And I think they're worried that somebody's not professional enough to recover from a joke going odd or weird i think it's a little bit more self-protection in that regard that they're going to have a bad show somebody that can't recover from that but i didn't have to recover from it anyway and i would have if if it got weird i'm prepared for that but it went great 
and, it went, and that, I left with such a congratulations and good job and everything was good and then uh, the next day they had like like thousands of like angry PETA people and they threatened my daughter and all kind of like really crazy shit that people get into over fictitious dogs that were made up that don't exist you never made a recording of it oh no no I had it like you know like the DVR or something at one point and uh, you know when you switch your cable boxes or whatever you lose all that stuff now and now if you look it up at all ever you just get that blank you know it's static <laughs> screen that it's just been removed from the cockles of NBC history well the good news is now you can do it in an hour special yeah <laughs> Ron Bennington uh, I owe Ron Bennington an enormous uh, debt that I'll never be able to repay he was in the in the, my time coming up in New York I grew up a humongous Howard Stern fan, still am. He's still such an important part of my world of entertainment that I love is Howard Stern. And when I was, when me and Kev and Keith used to drive back from New York to Philly every night, those guys would crash out in the car almost every night. And I drove because I was the brokest and whoever drove didn't have to pay for gas or food. So I would always drive and those guys would pass out and I would, Ron and Fez... Uh, Fez Watley and Ron Bennington show that was on in the afternoons was replayed at like three in the morning, which was about the time we'd hit the road. And so for, you know, 80% of our trip, I'd be able to keep WNEW from New York on the radio and listen to the show. And they just, I think his, that combination, that team was something magical. They were great, Ron and Fez. I loved them and I thought they were hilarious and I stayed a fan for years and years and then one day my girlfriend uh, said to me like why don't you try to go on it <laughs> you know like, you know people over there like why don't you try to get on the show you know and I made an attempt to do it and they got back to me right away seems to be the running theme here yeah just if you ask oh, well, because also I said the Opie and Anthony thing I, I did Opie and Anthony like twice and just like they never took to me as like a guest there was nothing rude they weren't rude to me or bad to me at all it just whatever it was in the context they just opie and anthony just never really took to me and had me on their show with any regularity but but then a little bit later ron bennington did but ron and fez they'd have me in once twice a month and that was the first thing ever that when i went on the road somewhere to do one of my headlines that i was certain was going to be sending several waitresses home because the upper level and whatever is not full uh was the first time i went somewhere and people came up to me and they said hey ronnie b says you're funny so we're here ron bennington says we come see you we, we love you on the show he says you're the guy we're here to see you and he's been just a mega supporter i remember once they told me i got okay i feel like keep bring up this comedy central special like an idiot but when i t when they told me i got it ron bennington texted me the next day he's like so are we gonna do an unmasked or what which is his you know in-depth interview series which i've only heard him do people that i like wildly respect to like massive celebrities so the fact that he wanted to do that with me was and that's just him always helping where he can i mean he's become like family for sure the late greg giraldo fantastic comic such a tragic story i think i i, I wish i would have got a chance to know him better in the limited interaction we had because it's funny we were both on that show z-rock together but we our characters never mixed so we were never even on set the same day and i would look you know I'm, I'm glad we weren't closer so i don't have to feel you know i just know what these sadnesses of these losses is a lot so i'm happy it didn't hit me quite as that hard but it still hits you in the sense of how much it hurts your friends you know what i mean you see like atel was rocked by that one for sure you know, and how much he meant to people. I mean, I like like an idiot said it to the uh, the booker of the punchlines in San Francisco, Molly, who's a doll, didn't know how close she was with Greg, and I was like, oh my god, like I just Attell just told me that he thinks Greg Giraldo passed away, and she fell apart. I felt like an asshole for even like I, you know, I didn't know how tight she was with them, and and I saw how he affected people, and he was such a brilliant comic. But I mean, you know, I think his story hopefully keeps people from running down that path because it scared me that's why that's why i've never had a, a coke problem or anything like that because i've always just not done it 
Hey everybody, let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. Hey everybody, I've talked a lot about AquaTrue on this show, the amazing water purification system that's literally a miniature water cooler in your home that purifies the water in a way that no one else has ever figured out how to do. It's this incredibly efficient piece of equipment and it gives you the best tasting water you can ever imagine for pennies. You just take it out of the box, plug it in, put your tap water in it, and it takes out all the bad chemicals and gives you the best and healthiest water you can ever imagine, saving you thousands of dollars each year from buying bottled water in the store. I have one at my house and office, and everyone who uses it orders one, and you should too. Just go to industrystandardwater.com and type in the promo code Barry, and if you act now, you can get $100 off and start enjoying the best and most cost-effective water you've ever had, and never waste another dollar buying bottled water again. I just want to share another groundbreaking product with you. It's a revolutionary air purifier that will change the way your home operates. And I'm talking about the air doctor. The air inside our home can be up to a hundred times more polluted than the air outside. But with the air doctor, you don't have to worry about it as it removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses and so many other contaminants that circulate throughout our homes. Till now, the only thing that could come close to this product were systems that cost thousands of dollars. But now you can get the Air Doctor for a fraction of the cost, normally $600. And if you don't believe me, check Amazon. But for a limited time, I can give you 50% off and save you $300. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and get rid of all the bad toxins in your home. I'm telling you, I have this product. It really, really works. So get one now and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air you can ever imagine. Louis C.K. Louis C.K., uh, another one, did an amazing thing. He's a guy who I thought was such a genius at comedy not even in my vein of like comedy that i usually kind of you know flock to see but i just uh, still acknowledge what a, a beast he is and every time i've watched him he's always completely impressed me not that he would require that but for someone of that level of talent to not really know me you know we didn't have like a a very friendly relationship it was very cordial uh, many years I would have said that he didn't know who I am even if he did you know I'd, our first interaction ever was a forced weird car ride that it was awkward we both kind of left it awkward but over the years we became like friendly enough just chatting here and there comedy clubs and what he did for with without audition uh put me in the first three seasons of that show just in little tiny part he would call me hey Jay you want to come and they'd give it right to me which for a show, especially by the second and third time I did it, how popular it was. Another thing, like just a, a favor that a person can do for you that you, how do I pay that back, you know? Dave Attell. Uh, most importantly to me, friend, uh, mentor, 
and just you know the goat i think he's the best that ever did it and and a uh, humble and a guy who t- to learn my road etiquette even from a guy like that to go to places where you hear a club talking about somebody and like oh, this guy wants you know these new sneakers before each show or the riders this crazy thing or him and his friends, they got 12 bottles of Patron. And Attell says, can I smoke in the green room? And I'll leave you alone. I want an iced coffee. And he tips the staff heavy. And everyone loves him. His crowd comes in and drinks, which I think I've cultivated a crowd like that, too, that comes and understands comedy. They get it. And uh, just a mensch in every sense of the word. This is a guy that doesn't forget birthdays. You know, he's just on it. Uh, even all down to my daughter, like, doesn't forget things like that. And uh, pretty, yeah, just an amazing guy. I think, uh, you know, he wouldn't tell you it ever. You know, he doesn't wear any of his charity on his sleeve. You know, he does things because he gives a shit. And that's, uh, I think people, it's nice for people to say it for him sometimes, how. Because he looks like a curmudgeon. <laughs> I go, some people think even when he passes by me, he goes, are you guys fighting? I'm like, no, he loves me. Why? Well, <laughs> just as he walked by and kind of made fun of you for a second and went inside. I'm like, yeah, but, you know, what's he, he's awkward. What's he going to do? One of the biggest things you mentioned, tip heavy. Yep. If you're any kind of artist, I don't care if you do magic, jazz, comedy, rap, or rock and roll. Think you're tipping your wait staff too much? Double it. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And you will be back in that club over and over and over again. It's very true, because your staff, the staff for the people who have the ear of the managers, who have the ear of the bookers, and they just hear. That's why I said that's what kept me. His etiquette that he taught me with that stuff. Many, many, many clubs would say, you know, it's like they let you know, like you know, you're still not drawing a crowd at all. But we have you. Everyone loves when you're here. You yeah. know, everyone has a good time with you. Patrice O'Neill. I hope he's remembered. If if if, if I can, if me and a million other people have anything to say about it, he'll be remembered forever. Who knows what could have been with his experience in the world? You know, who's I can't think of whose commentary personally. I want to hear more about what's the state of everything. And you know, there's people. I try to, you know, for, Patrice gave me more than watching him do comedy and just laughs and and all those things. We spent holidays with Patrice. You know, Thanksgiving to every barbecue for years and years you know people are enamored with my daughter because she just her life was growing up with patrice was around you know and so many fans are like you know what do you what do you remember patrice like being a little kid you know around him and he uh you know i try to carry him because it's everything with vice what, what patrice gave me better than anything else was just approach to life advice he said things two things he said to me and one of them he said was regurgitated and i think maybe translated from a tracy morgan statement and one was what patrice gave me himself and it doesn't matter which one's which because they both came from him to me and it was don't be afraid to say something on stage that you know might not be funny you know it might not go over but once you have the ability to be like yeah but who cares I'm just going to say it if it doesn't go over well like I'll get them back you know somehow and going on stage with the confidence like not not always just like well I wrote down these funny thoughts he goes approach those funny thoughts with the same way you did when you were like you do comedy because you were a funny kid probably and when you were a funny kid you didn't go all right I'm going to go hang out with my friends now I'm going to write some material about Jimmy and Dave's going to really get it. I'm going to make fun of his shirt. You just kind of were the funny person. You went and you just were. And he kind of just, you know, that much of like a a statement of being zen. You know, he goes, just go to the stage knowing like you're probably funnier than these people. You know, you're the funny guy in this group of friends you're hanging out with right now. And I that that big clicks for me and just the way I approach things. And then also telling me like, such a pivotal moment as not being afraid of the silence on stage because it, because it it means they didn't laugh but it definitely means they're listening which is more important last name kevin hart <laughs> kevin hart we just had a uh an amazing reunion here on stage it's been a career that has been interesting to watch because i'm proud of him i've spent many years being jealous and envious of that success when i had very little kev did 
nothing to ever deserve that nor did he ever feel it he never got any coldness from me or anything I, I was always very proud to see everything happening for him but you definitely get moments where you're like wow like wh- where's my thing happening you know and you get there's bitterness and envy to that which I always wrestled with because I hated feeling it because I didn't want to and I always said I would never give that off to him not that he, he was pretty busy so I think he didn't matter <laughs> but uh but we had such, you know, these amazing stories and this friendship early being young kids and driving around hours into Canada together to do these weird shows. And it was so important. And then we went to L.A. and, you know, his career just took off crazy. And we catch up time to time. We, we <laughs> I'll tell you a funny one. This has been said on my radio show before, but I think you'll appreciate this. Uh, I was doing the one of our interactions where again it kind of makes you feel like it's like oh I'm so excited to see Kev and then you end up leaving like I gotta get my whole life together maybe I should go back to college now I guess <laughs> but I was in Sacramento doing the punchline there I was pretty excited you know it's seven shows or whatever the week but uh, you know I'm headlining a punchline in Sacramento it felt great this is maybe six seven years ago and right before things kind of started like rolling a little nicer for me but uh, Kev was in Sacramento doing the Arco Arena, which is where the Sacramento Kings play. One show. And he goes, come over and hang out at the hotel. You know, we'll catch up. Sure. I get a cab. I go to, from the cab to the uh, to his hotel. Cab driver asks me, what I'm, why am I going from one hotel to another hotel? And I say, oh, it's a, oh, yeah, not that it matters. You know, it's a cab driver. Not that it matters uh, that I'm telling you. But I go, I'm a comedian. I'm in town performing at the the punchline out here but I'm old friends with uh, you know Kevin Hart's in town tonight and he's like oh yeah he's playing the arena and I go, I go yeah so he's an old friend of mine so I'm just gonna I'm gonna go visit him and then he's talking to me he starts asking me about my comedy so he's like oh well you know Kevin Hart he's like, we just, how, do you, how do you know him I'm telling him from comedy we're just having a nice conversation and the guy goes you're a comic that's so cool he goes hey man he goes can I get tickets to the show and I said, uh, sure, I'll get you tickets to the show, man. I go, which show you want to go to? As I'm doing, you know, I said, there's a bunch of shows. And he goes, oh, really? He goes, I thought he was only doing one show. And I went, oh, you mean like the Kev show? I'm like, ah, no, man, like, I don't think I could do that, buddy. I'm like, I'm sorry. He's like, oh, man, that's okay. That's fine. And I was like, it was awkward for the next couple of minutes. No one really talked. So I got out. And before I get out, he gives me uh, his business card. And he goes, Hey, he goes, it's hard to get a cab around here. So when you're ready, just give me a 10-minute heads up, and I'll come to take you back. I go, great, thanks. I go, I talk to Kev. I see Kev. He's still in the gym at the hotel. For some reason, that's like a separate entrance outside. <laughs> so he's in there, and I go in the hotel. I'm, you know, I'm standing there while he's like walking on a treadmill, just living his wonderful life. He looks great, <laughs> healthy. We leave. We walk outside. We're outside for a hundred feet now not even 50 60 feet we walk from one door to the other to the front door of the hotel i mean cars stop and people come out of buildings and people you know people are flashing cameras and i'm certain uh none of them are going hey look it's kevin Hart and big J. they're going that must be his security walking him to the <laughs> to the door which is uncomfortable too and he kind of shows me how he deals with that which i thought was interesting and, and we go up to his like penthouse place you know, there's the hotel room with all these rooms. His boys are all playing uh, Xbox 360 on the big screen TV. And there's lobster. And he's like, Jay, you want a lobster? We can get your lobster set up. And he's doing all that stuff. And, and I'm happy for him, but it's very, it's a lot. It's a lot to take in. And then he's showing me the intro for this special. It's got the pyro that came out. And, you know, there's just been, I think, two specials ago now. And uh, he's just drinking all that in. I'm just trying to find some, like, weird, like, common ground to, like, you know, Remember, you know, like it wasn't always like this, huh? This is crazy. I said, uh, I go, oh, look, well, Kev, some things don't change. You go, you're still bringing your Xbox 360 over. I go, I bring mine too and my stupid backpack, killing my shoulders, dragging this video game system around all over. And he goes, no, no, no. He says, when we land, we send somebody out to buy, buy an Xbox. And so we play it and then we just leave it for the housekeeping to have. <laughs> and I went... I gotta go. <laughs> I was like, I have to leave. Did I got a show tonight? Was, you know, very quickly I had to get out of there because I was just getting overwhelmed. <laughs> and I left. So the the punch of this. So I call this guy. He picks me up. He's like, How was it? And I'm like, It was fine, man. 
He's like, was it crazy? <laughs> I'm just like, I know him. Like, it's not, no, it wasn't great, but I was just catching up with an old friend, man. I go, but it's fine. And he goes, uh, hey, I'm really sorry. I'm embarrassed about that thing or that miscommunication. Or he goes, I mean, if the offer is actually on the table, like, I'd really love to come see you do comedy this weekend. I go, oh, yeah, man, it's fine. Like, whatever you need, I'll get you tickets. I go, before I get out of the car, make sure you give me your name and stuff, and I'll put you in for tickets for a show. He goes, oh, man, that'd be great. He goes, I'm going to bring my girl, and she's going to be like, look at me, look at you. Like, I know the comedian. Like, I know this guy. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it'll be great. You know, sure, come on out. He talked about it for like two more minutes, and then he just, you know, quiet 25 more minutes to the Mike Hotel. And as I'm getting out of the car, like, he's not giving me any information. So I, as I'm getting out, I go, hey, man, you want to give me your name for tickets for the show? And he goes, I'll be honest, man. I'm not going to come to your show. <laughs> he just didn't want it to be awkward for the ride back. And I say, well, after all that, I'm already insecure and feeling bad about myself. And then this guy goes, I don't want to come to your show. I had to go get talked off a ledge. That that was one of those call my mom and be like, mom, should I have gone to college? Were you right? <laughs> but tell the audience how it comes full circle here in Montreal and how probably if you had to say one of your greatest moments yeah. recently in show business certainly yeah, it was very uh very very surreal that uh yeah we um at the festival here last night i did my crowd work show what's your fucking deal where uh i have a comic in the audience with a microphone that holds it for the audience and can play also along with what's going on and i bring up comics to just do all crowd work and there was some buzz kev texted me he was going to come by the show and then it seemed like he wasn't going to come by at one point and then sort of last minute, they were like, if you can stall for like, you know, a few minutes on stage, like he's going to come. He said he wants to go on. And uh, I got pretty excited. But I didn't realize how excited I was until it was kind of happening. And he came in and my girlfriend gave me like the thumbs up. And uh, and I brought him on stage and he came up and I went and did the audience mic for him. Now, what was that moment where you said to the crowd... It was cool. I haven't said it since. I haven't said it since it didn't matter. But <laughs> I was like, "Hey, everyone, Kevin Hart." And they go, "Okay, I guess that's the next comic." You know, it was the last time that that matters. So yeah, the crowd exploded. Obviously, and me and him and Ari Shafir was on the other microphone, and we were doing kind of like a three-way playing with the crowd. Kev leading it because the person on stage leads it always. And then before he got off, he uh, he said some nice things about me and told a story that we have together that uh what did he say about you we'll re release it he was just congratulating me on my success and just saying how he's like you know a lot of people wouldn't even know that maybe that me and him have such this like crazy history and long story we have nutty stories together and like just it, it, that was like a real like road dog thing just three comics coming in from philly to new york every day <laughs> it was like six days a week it was like like, the only reason I ended up having to move was when 9-11 happened. It was just becoming, instead of two and a half hours in, two hours home, it was becoming, like, four and a half hours in. It was We had to leave in the afternoon to do a open mic at 7 o'clock if we wanted to, you know? Like, it was it was just a, a nightmare. So, we do have this crazy history, and he congratulated me on my success, uh, or su successes I've had recently, and... Uh, we said, I love you, and, and he, we hugged on stage, and he went, and he had to go, you know, I get it. He had to be out before I got off stage because he'd be mobbed, and, uh, and he took off. Yeah, but that was nice. It was really like uh, afterwards, when I was able to reflect on it, I realized how cool that was. That's when someone sent me the pictures, and I'm like, we were, we were when he were telling the story, even Kev goes, because it's a little, it's a pretty salacious story. <laughs> he was telling me a girl that I liked who I'd hooked up with a couple times. I was like, I like this girl. She's a cool girl, and he's like, no, she's like, a whore <laughs> he's like do not like get like feelings for this girl like she would fuck any of us and it's just this thing which was you know i just wanted to believe as like an insecure fat kid that again it's very new to me that i could do something like comedy's new and after a show no matter how young or new you are at it you know a girl might pop up and want to hook up with you and i thought this girl liked me and picked up a few times and kept trying to tell me that she's not so we were picking her up one day she gets in the back seat of my car, so Kev jumps in the back seat of my car, and he was just describing it from his perspective versus my perspective. They had some words. I'll paraphrase. I think we're going to put the story out ultimately, but like they ended up doing. Like I saw her head disappear in the back seat of the car, and Kev just saying him seeing my eyes while that's happening, versus me also having described. You know, so we're going these like dueling points of what we saw. You know, like he saw my eyes getting like oh, and I, and all I saw was them kind of whispering, and then her head just disappearing. And uh, it was pretty. It's a funny. They said we have a. 
It's a crazy story. Kept just saying, I just kept driving the whole time. But it was just like a real, genuine, not prepared story memory that we were able to. But he knew you liked her, and he still made that happen. How come? It, he was doing like the. It was it was a harsh message for sure. And again, <laughs> I'm sure you know. Again, at, we're at, we're 40 years old now. It wouldn't be the same thing, you know. But at a, again, we were. I was 19. I think he was 18, or like 20 and 19, or something like that. It was really a. We were young and like, no, I think in the story he expresses what a dick move it was like to show him the thing. But it, it was also right because I mean, I'd be doing things like I'm carting this girl around with my arm around everyone. She's probably blown everybody else in the place. I just didn't know any better. You know, I was naive to it. So it's a look at the end of the day, like it's very funny when I broke up with my long term girlfriend way early in comedy. That ball busting between taking it up to the cellar and Keith talking about it with everybody and Kev busting my balls in the drive, like that's what got me over because just you just got to laugh at it and go, it's like, yeah, like I'm a sad sack idiot. It's just like so sad over this girl, not that girl that from the the Bexie blowjob story, but that, but to have that moment, like you know, saying we loved each other on stage was a cool thing. It was a really cool moment to have. The balance of your personal relationship and working relationship with a woman you love. It can be tough. It's interesting how many times we've walked into a radio studio like coming out of an Uber, you know, that we're like not, you know, we're arguing in about something and whether it's like serious or just nitpicky nonsense, you know, just coming into a studio like that. But kind of the beauty of the kind of the radio that I have always appreciated and liked. And I think me and Dan are different on this too. Dan divulges plenty about his life. He doesn't hold back or anything. But there are elements of his life where he was like, he would never be as personal as I am with it, giving out information, both me and Christine being there. We also kind of realize, for better or for worse, if people come at me and say, oh, you were being really mean to Christine today or coming at her, like, what did you do that for to Jay? We realize, like, we're, we're characters in their soap opera. They listen to every day. We're on four days a week, and they don't hate any of us. Just that day they go, like, oh, Jay, you're you're the bad guy today, you know, and that's, that's I, I like that. And... and it does make the bond, our, uh, me and her's bond, a lot stronger working together. I, I believe in her as a, it's it's a hard thing to do. I hate pushing someone, you know, into like positions and it seems like, you know, nepotism and you're doing these things. But if it was something I didn't believe she could do, I'm her biggest critic too. Like I would say she couldn't do it, but the things she can do, she's an amazing, and she's an amazing producer. She's the main, one of the main producers of Skankfest and my radio show and the TV show. So Christine Marie Evans, man, she's a, She's an amazing talent at what she does. Your proudest moment in show business. It's not a moment, but the success of the radio show, like in three years where it's at, is is a pretty proud moment for me. But genuinely, uh, like I said earlier in the in the show even, like when I got into comedy, like, you know, show number three I did in comedy was the thing was like, this is leading towards your special your one hour special and when that didn't come for years and years you know even like the half hour special I it meant the world to me everything and I was so excited that a network would take you know I described it to my mom that way it goes this network's taking a half hour of their television you know the same thing they give to South Park and giving it to me like it's crazy and uh, so it wasn't I took it for granted but getting that hour that you name it and whatever comes out so I think finishing that night and realizing that it was a uh, I think a successful night. Like I was happy with the material that got out there, whether I liked the way I looked or whatever is going to be debated forever. But what I said and how I did it, I, I love, like, uh, I was proud of it for sure. You know, of course, could it be better a thousand times? I'm sure. But just, it was a very proud moment to have that finally happen. And then have my daughter be there for, you know what I mean? Like as raunchy as it is, she's, She's overexposed at this point. She doesn't worry that she's going to go to school and be picked on based on the stories that you tell. No, I don't think so. I don't think. I think she's got a she's got a strong spirit for that. I think she laughs it off until you know she laughs it off for sure, which is great. Your biggest disappointment in show business and how you used it to fuel yourself to the next level. Biggest disappointment. I had so much. Um, I really. Uh, I, I wrote a script, the only script I ever wrote with my two buddies, Dave Smith and Louis J. Gomez, who we, were the Legion of Skanks. That's our podcast and our brand. And that's, you know, Skankfest is based off of that. And, and, and Louis is kind of like creative brain for that kind of stuff. And it might be naive still to this day because I've never written one since. But uh, 
I thought it was really good. It was a really funny thing, really funny pilot we wrote. And uh, Wayne, as my manager, and, and me, Wayne Rada. Wayne Rada, we came up here to Montreal and got he got me some pitches, or I pitched it at the festival and got some meetings from it. And we went around and just uh, it just was got nose. And we didn't get like a ton of meetings, but it was like Fox at the time, TBS at the time, Comedy Central time. By the way, almost every one of them came back really positive feedback not even saying like you got to change a bunch of stuff it was just like comedy central was like this just conflicts with workaholics to us it just reeks of like that three guys or four guys even based thing like that Uh, fx was just like they're not going to put the amount of money that they would need to put into that kind of show and you know tbs it was never going to make sense anyway and fox just kind of said no but they were all like very nice but but i just never went through that before just a flat out like you know, it took us three months to write it because every, I want everything to be such, every joke to be funny and every scene to be tied in and great. And I thought it was clever and maybe it isn't, but when I just like, just having everyone go like, now, <laughs> like not even a pile or something, it was, I just got so defeated and then I was just, that was a bummer. That was something where I was like, and talking about how it changed my direction was like, I realized like, that's, this is not like my realm, like doing those things, you know, everything about it seemed forced not the funny the funny was fun to do but just going in there and trying like when you picture it happening it's like you know it wasn't something that like inspired was almost like it didn't make me want to kill myself because you're like well at least i don't have to be on a set 16 hours a day doing this thing you know who cares when you can do something you enjoy you know and uh so i think that's where i started figuring out when that said the legion of skanks ultimately became a podcast we did that's vents the same humor that I felt was the spirit of that script and like and that's grown to I remember us being excited that 40 people listened to a show to a a a thousand people in Brooklyn for a three-day thing flying in from 16 different countries and to be there is crazy that's what's a neat thing to watch that kind of that's that's growth not like social media that's growth you can watch happen people coming up with I think we have well over a hundred people with this the logo tattooed on them is which i think is insane you know but it's it's really cool that's awesome last question what advice do you have for the young person growing up in a not so great area not having a lot of money no resources family not together and just trying to figure out their way and how do they go about navigating and having the kind of career that you've had? Don't lose your sense of humor about it. And then something that was told to me a lot and I didn't always stick to it. And and I wish I would have more because now that I feel like, you know, I feel like if, if you're a fan of stand-up comedy, like you've heard my name or something before, I feel like I'm in, like I'm officially a, a stand-up professional stand-up comic. And that is because no one can make you stop doing it like you can keep doing it always and when i wasn't on the road or getting industry uh love at all i was able to keep working on the local level in new york and just get better and keep doing it but but love it and enjoy that because you know now with traveling as much as i do you know now i have a bed that i love and i can't be in it a lot you know like all these moments keith used to tell me that he goes remember these drives up and back forth and when you don't want to do it because you're just sick of sitting in traffic on the Jersey Turnpike remember yesterday when we saw that accident and we made fun of that guy at the restaurant or we you know it's like and you do and you wouldn't go you feel like you'd miss out and in the moment where it just feels like it's miserable why can't I get on stage why am I just hanging out why it's uh hang in there because um what I said before one of my proudest moments attached to that was I got a call I didn't know why but my managers came to Legion of Skanks one night which was rare. They don't come. It's out in Long Island City. We do it in front of an audience, and they were there. And we got a. We don't even take calls on our podcast. I didn't even know if we could. I think they plugged it, someone's cell phone in, and it goes, "Jay, it's your agent." And we so we have a YouTube video of this. I'm sitting there, and he goes, "How about if I told you 17 years like breaking your ass and trying so hard is gonna? It gets me like almost emotional now. Like it's gonna pay off. You just got your hour special at Comedy Central, and I, that's like all on like YouTube. And that was a moment where I was like, "Wow!" But yeah, it took me back. And yet, don't be, don't let, you know, discouraging things discourage you because those those stories kept me going a long time through my career too. Was the, 
the famous ones. I know you probably heard a zillion times too. Desperate housewives sat on a shelf for five years. You know, it doesn't matter. One, it just takes one person to kind of figure it out and start a thing. You know, and and to even start like a movement going in your way. Louis J. Gomez, a person you should look up if you get a chance. About someone just self doing it is such an impressive thing. Whether or not you like the product is is kind of null and void. Like this is a guy who goes, well, J- just for last festival doesn't bring me here, so we're we're doing a festival, you know, and it, and it's a may, you know, no one's gonna produce, you know, me and Dave's specials. I'm gonna produce me, and it gets and it gets traction, and it's really it's a it's a pretty impressive thing. So there's a, a thousand different avenues too to take in this. So if if you believe you have something, and 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 someone who matters to you is telling you that you have something then you know just don't stop doing it Just hang in there because i've wanted to quit 11 times big jay okerson this was huge today you were amazing all right thank you and thank you for doing this. this was a kick for me to do i really was excited to told to max when, when uh when you were outside well i was excited to have you and i have a big place in my heart for you and i wish you the best always man i'll tell you when you call me to do Gary Goldman's uh, the sports show up and the thing and the, you acknowledge like we'd love to have you on I was like ah, that's good. that was really cool that was a that's a moment I remember for sure that's and that's definitely tagged as like oh Barry invited me to do it he must not think I'm terrible at this <laughs> I love you man thank you so much love you too brother thanks okay I'm going to scroll through the list of people who sent me a message and one of these people will be a lucky winner and they'll get to attend a podcast live with one of my guests, meet them, shake their hand, ask them a few questions, or else if they're out of town, out of state, or out of the country, we'll Skype them in or FaceTime them or anything like that so they can be there. Why not? So let me look here randomly and pick somebody. All right, landing on uh, Pooty Crystal Light, October 18th, 2018. The heading reads, highly recommended, five stars. And the comment is, Barry cares deeply for his profession and treats his guests with respect and admiration. Always something to learn. Well, thank you very much, Pooty Crystal Light. I wish I knew what that meant. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. You are a winner. And that wraps up part two of our podcast. I just wanted to thank my incredible partners, starting with Wondery. Check out their lineup of some of the greatest podcasts in the world at Wondery.com. And Aquatrue, the revolutionary miniature countertop water purification system that works straight out of the box. Plug it in, fill it with tap water, and immediately turn your faucet into your favorite bottled water for pennies. You can get $100 off when you go to industrystandardwater.com and just type in the promo code Barry and start enjoying the best water you've ever had and never buy another bottle of water again. And I Killed JFK, the groundbreaking film about the only living person who admitted to killing Kennedy. Go to ikilljfk.com, buy the film and the rare interviews with five of the last living experts, and I guarantee it'll change your mind about what happened that day. And the Air Doctor, the innovative portable air purification system which will change your overall quality of life and instantly removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and other contaminants circulating in your home. Normally $600, and if you don't believe me, check Amazon right now. But for a limited time, I can offer you 50% off. That's a $300 savings. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world. And Good Company, an extraordinary web series on YouTube that host Scott Bowling created, where you can watch music interviews with incredible artists talking openly about their journey in the music business. If you like a great in-depth music interview where you can hear about each album in chronological order and what the artist experienced along the way, this is the show for you. Interviews with incredible talents like Michael Sweet from Striper, Clinton Lejean from Seven Dust, Brian Head Welsh from Corn, Elias from Nonpoint, Mikey from Islander, Sonny from POD, and Rich Ward from Fozzie, 
and Stuck Mojo, just to name a few. Check out Good Company on any social media outlet under Good Company with Bowling or go to www.scottgoodcompany.com. And finally, Boku Superfoods, the purest, most potent, and delicious certified organic, kosher, and vegan superfood blends on the planet. Boku Superfood is changing the game for thousands of people in 65 countries with their incredible formulated powders that you just add any liquid to and make the healthiest drinks or smoothies in the world. Just go to bokusuperfood.com. That's B-O-K-U superfood.com. Look for the three-pack trial. Enter the promo code Barry at checkout. Just pay a minimal shipping fee and get a full week's supply of Boku Superfood for free. I guarantee you'll look and feel better and understand why Boku is the number one family-owned superfood company in the world. And here's a preview of the next very special episode. Gary Busey. You're curious what you make it. And the great thing about art is it's in every school. There are plays being put on. There are concerts being put on. There are singers being doing, doing things. There's people doing juggling. There's people doing all kinds of arts. If you want to do that, get into the theatrical group place and study stagecraft, study costume making, study the lighting that you have on the stage in a classical theater play. Learn that. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get all the money, drop that fancy car. All the people love you Cause you're going for Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley Fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrycats.com. Before you leave, Please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.